Thank you, Pastor. Appreciate it. Amen. Good evening, everybody. It's always a pleasure to be able to minister the Word of God. You know, I want you to understand that I don't take anything lightly. I really don't. I've been saved now for uh, 27 years. And so for those of you that never heard my testimony and those of you that have never heard me share, you, I hope the boxes of Kleenex are nearby because you're going to need them. Amen. God is good. Amen. Just for those of you that don't know me, my name is Frank Romero. I pastor in the Autumn Reservation in Tucson, Arizona. I've been there for five years now. Me and my beautiful wife have been pastoring there for the past five years. Um, I've been blessed. I have uh, nine children. Six, I have six daughters and I have uh, three sons. I have 23 grandchildren. Okay. Woo. God is good. Uh, I entitled my sermon, Demon Possessed. I don't really want to get into too much of uh, my testimony because we can get to the crying in a little bit real quick, believe me. And then I'll share with you the blessings of God in my life. Amen. I'm going to be reading out of the book of Luke 8, 27 through 35. And uh, please be patient with my reading. I always tell people this because... Uh, I never had an education, so I didn't know how to read, and I still have issues reading, but I don't let it bother me in any kind of way, because I know that God is good. Amen? Amen. It says that when Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had, worn, had not worn clothes and lived in, the, lived in the house, but he lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell upon his feet, shouted with the, uh, out of the top of his voice, What have I to do with, what, oh, I'm sorry, what do you want from me, Jesus, the Son of God, of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirits to come out of the man. Many times he had been seized by, uh, seized by him, it says, and though he was Chained, it says, chained hands and foot and kept under guard. He had broken his chains and had been driven by, his, by demons. It says, in a solitary place. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, for he replied, because many demons have gone into him. And they, they, he, they begged him and repeatedly it says, do not order us to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs were feeding there. And the hillside and the demons begged that, they would, that Jesus would let them go into the pigs. And he gave them permission. When the demons had came out of the man, he, they went into the pigs and the herd, it says, and they rushed, rushed into, down a steep bank and into a lake and they drowned. When they saw, when those uh, tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported to the town and the countryside. And the people went back, went to see what had happened. And when they came, Jesus, it says, they came to Jesus. They found the man from who him, the demons have gone out, sitting at the feet of Jesus, uh, dressed in, in his right mind. And they were afraid. Let's pray. Father, we ask you, our heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Father God, for your mighty hand upon us, Lord, this evening, my heavenly Father, Lord. I ask you, Father God, that you would minister to each and every one of us, Father God.
Lord, that you would touch those that are sitting in this place, Lord, those that are listening online, Father God. Lord, give them ears to hear, Father God. Let them hear your words, my heavenly Father, Lord. Let your words be engraved into their hearts and minds, my heavenly Father, Lord. Touch them, Lord, and guide them, Lord. Let your Holy Spirit, Father God, fall upon this place right now, Father God, as you touch each and every soul, Father God. We thank you, Lord, and we give you praise. And all of God's people said, amen. I chose this scripture, and I choose this scripture every single time because you need to understand that I was that man that was demon-possessed, okay? And so, like I said, uh, you know, I have nine children, but through the process of all this, I, you know, I had grown up in a home. I didn't know how to be a father. I didn't know how to be a husband because I had grown up in a home where there was abuse, now, I want you to understand this, and you know, I tell people all the time, if, you know, I'll cry. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not embarrassed to cry. It was one of the things that, you know, when God saved me, God took away that demon spirit, the pride, you know what I mean? And I'm, you know what I mean? When God touched me, God saved me, God restored me. And I hope that this testimony helps you in some way, somehow, because I'll tell you something right now, that even when I hear my testimony, even when I share my testimony, I got to go all the way back to where all that pain started. You know, as a very young child, I, I, uh, I, I grew up around parents that were alcoholics, they were abusive. My parents would allow people to come into the house and, and, and take care of us and people that they didn't even know. At a very young age, at the age of seven years old, I had been molested. I'm, I'm sure that someone here uh, uh, has gone through something like I have, but I'm here to tell you right now that, you know, you can't hold that against yourself you, because that, that's a demon spirit. At the age of nine years old, I got molested again, and, and for so many years, my mind was corrupt. I'm telling you that as a child, you know, when, when you've been molested, when you've been touched, uh, you no longer think like a child. You start to think crazy things in your life. You start to, to uh, 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 think that, you know what, you're, you're no longer a, a, a child, but again, you, 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 you allow this spirit to, to torment you, to make you feel that you're not worthy, that you're no good. But it's a lie from the pit of hell. How many of you know that? Not only will it affect you as a child, but it will affect you as an adult. It, it, you know, you, you become this person that you don't want to be. And by the age of 12 years old, I had gone and left my house. My parents didn't want me there any longer. They were both alcoholics. My father had gone to prison. I would be out in the streets wondering where I was going to go next. I would uh, sleep around with women to have a roof over my head and to have a bite to eat. I remember many times calling out. Here comes the tears, guys. <laughs> calling out for my mother because I wanted someone to love me. I would call out and hoping that she would tell me that she loved me, that she would tell me to come back home. But that never happened because she would put other men before me. My father had gone to prison because of my mother having affairs. When my father came out of prison, I remember my father 
I remember walking up to my father hoping that there was some kind of change. I ran to my father and I went to go hug him and he pushed me away. You know, when you're a young man and you see these kind of things and, you know, it really messes you up, messes up your heart and your mind. I lived with these thoughts of abuse. I would see my father beat my mother even after they were divorced, even after they were separated. I see my father beat my mother and throw her off these stairways. And I remember as she was falling down, I was standing right behind him. And I remember my mother going down and, and, and falling and hitting the floor and, and, and breaking. I mean, I could see her bones breaking into pieces. And I seen her laying on the bottom. And, and I remember she looked like a raggedy end, all, all broken up, all, you know, and, and hoping that she wasn't dead and, and calling the ambulance and hoping that they could come and save her. I would see my mother get drunk and wait for the right moment to strike my father over the head with a bottle of liquor. I would see my mother grab her gun and tell my father that she was going to kill him. And I remember one time standing there, they went into the bathroom and they started to argue. And my mother pulled out her gun and I heard a gunshot. My father opened the door and my mother had shot him in the hand. Uh, I guess he tried to take the gun away from her, whatever, you know, had happened. You know, I didn't know God. I didn't know that there was a God out there that could save me. Do you understand what I'm saying? I don't know if you've came out of the same kind of lifestyle that I came out of, but, you know, the only thing that I had was to go run to the, to the uh, uh, gang members, to drugs and alcohol. That was my, my addiction was Sherm. I don't know if you guys know what it is. It's embalming fluid. I used to smoke this stuff. I used to get high for, uh, sometimes I didn't have anything to eat. So that was a way that I'd go without eating for days. And, and so I was out in the streets at the age of 12 years old drinking looking for love. Come on, somebody. Looking for love in all the wrong places. I ain't going to sing you the song. Okay, I can. Looking for love. And, oh, I'm just you know? And not finding anyone to love me. Do you understand what it's like to feel? If you're here and you have a mother and your mother's hugged you and told you that she loves you, praise God. Because I never, my mother never hugged me. My mother never told me that she loved me. She was the kind of person that would push me away. I wanted her. I wanted to feel her love. I wanted to, to feel what it was like to be loved. But the only place that I could find it was out in the streets. By the time... I had left my house when I was 12 years old. I moved to Arizona to a out to a little ranch, little desert town, because they were trying to kill me by the age of 12 years old. I lived there. I worked out in the fields, you know, and um, you know, in New Mexico, picking chilies and watermelons and melons that weighed more than I did at the time. I was about four eight. I probably weighed about 90 pounds, soaking wet. You know, and I would be out there working and struggling and doing whatever I had to do. 
I was living with a woman that was a dispatcher for the police department. I lived with her until I was 15 years old. You know, we always talk about young ladies moving in with guys, but how many of you know that there's guys out there that move in with women because they need somewhere to go? By the time I was 15 years old, my mother had promised me that everything would be different. She wanted me to go back to California. I went back with her to California just to find out that nothing had changed. I ended up joining another gang. And as I joined this neighborhood, it was the same neighborhood I had grown up in, but I joined this gang thinking that, you know what, my life was going to change for the best, that being a gang member was going to be good for me. How many of you know that that's a lie from the pit of hell? I always started to run around with all these gang members. I started to get violent, hurting people, shooting at people, just doing all kinds of stealing, taking things that didn't belong to me. Because at the time, I called it survival. If I wanted to eat, I needed to take something that didn't belong to me because I didn't know. I didn't even have the age to really work. And if I did, in California, you can't go and work, into an, work in another neighborhood because at the time, they would kill you. I'm talking about late 70s, early 80s. As time went by, I got more into gangs. A friend of mine had came out of prison, and when he came out of prison, he used to take care of me when I was very little. He was an older guy now. You know, at that time, he was, you know, I was 17. He was 35 years old. My mom had gotten together with this man that I called my stepdad. This was the only man that ever liked me. This man was a straight-up murderer, straight-up killer. He had already killed, like, five people. He had chased the guy, cut his ear off because they had killed his brother in Mexico. So he had followed him all the way to the States, killing him one by one. When he got to the border of uh, Tijuana and San Diego, he grabbed him from, he barely grabbed one of the last guys from his ear, and he cut his ear off. And he put it, he told him, I'm going to save this for you because I'll find you in California. And he put it in his pocket. This man would show me how to use a weapon, how to use a knife. But this was the only man that I could ever, you know, that I ever thought that loved me. He was always real close to me. Even when my father was uh, uh, rude to him, he wouldn't raise his hand at my dad. He would tell me, I don't raise my hand at him because of you. Because I have respect for you. And so I considered that some kind of love. Maybe it was some weird kind of love, but at least it was somebody loving me. I came home one day, and he was waiting at the door, and he says to me, where's your friend George? This is that friend of mine I just gotten out of prison. He says, uh, yesterday I was putting gas in the car, he says, and he came up to me, and uh, you know, those of you that don't know older cars, you open up the back license plate, put gas, and as he was putting gas in the car, he punched him in the face and knocked him out at the gas station and had taken his cowboy hat and I don't know Mexicans you don't take their cowboy hat you know what I mean and so he had said to me he says I bought a brand new cowboy hat I want to know if he likes this he says I got this for him and I have this for him and he pulled out a handgun 
I started to tell them, I said, you know, you don't need to shoot them. You don't need to kill them. Why don't you just uh, go outside and, and fight them man to man, one on one. I went to my room, and as I went to my room, about five minutes later, my sister comes running. She says, you got to come down, Frank. Uh, Angel, and, which is my stepfather, and George is the guy I grew up with, my homeboy, however you want to call it. He, he goes, they're arguing. You need to go down there. You need to stop them. I started to run down the stairs, and as soon as I got behind my stepfather, I see my stepfather holding the door, putting the gun on the table, dining room table, and as my friend was standing outside, he threw a sarah up in the air and picked up a sawed off and as he picked up the sawed off my stepfather shot him nine times in the chest the man didn't have a shirt on I remember I can tell you exactly he had corduroys on with sandals on no shirt on I could see the bullets going in and out of his body it's it was like a like a movie you know you just like that's all you hear it's like a it's like a dream you think about the worst thing you've ever seen it's like a dream like it really didn't happen I suddenly, uh, you know, I, I grabbed the, cars, the keys to the car. I gave them to him. I said, you need to get out of here because if you don't, you're just as dead as he is. He grabs the keys. He takes off. And I, I run outside. I grab him. And, and he's gasping for air. My stepfather had grabbed the rifle, took it out of his hands, and uh, uncocked it. He had beat my stepfather to the punch. But the bullet had gotten jammed. And because of that reason, he hadn't killed my stepfather. And so he grabs the gun and he tells him if he wants more, he walks away, gets in the car and he leaves. I'm holding this man in my arms. Now you got to understand, his mother had taken care of us when we were little. And she would, uh, con we considered her like a grandmother. And she's walking behind me and she's saying, my baby, my baby, what did they do to my baby? And I'm holding this man in my arms. He's bleeding all over me. I'm soaking blood. I mean, he has no shirt on. He has nine bullet holes in his body. And I'm holding this man and telling him that he's going to be okay. What else can you tell someone? Do you understand that that's not something a 17-year-old should go through? No different than being molested at the age of seven or being molested at the age of nine years old. Do you understand what I'm saying? It messes you up mentally. At that moment, my, the, the cops came to the house. They took me in because I'm full of blood. They don't know what's going on. They bring me back after their questioning. They bring me back. They find out I have nothing to do with this. And they tell me, that to be ready because they're going to kill me. The officer lets me go, and as he lets me go, there's about 300 gang members. I lived on Pacific Coast Highway in Vermont. Now, if you guys know Pacific, it's the 101 Highway, I believe. They're one of the biggest highways. It's blocked off with cars. There's gang members all over the street fighting with the cops, fighting with detectives. Nobody's paying attention to me. I'm a 17-year-old kid. They come at me, try to kill me right there in front of everybody. I turn around and I ask my father for help. I ask my mother for help. Well, actually, my mother wasn't there. I'm sorry. I ask my father for help. I ask my uncles and my aunts for help. And all my uncles and my aunts said to me is, that's what you wanted. That's what you get. 
I ran through the crowd, and somewhere behind all these cars, my dad comes out, and I jump into the car, and they get me out of there. They're shooting at the car, and I end up in Arizona, August 4th of 1983. I didn't know nothing about no Arizona, you know, John Wayne movies, maybe, you know what I mean, you know, Bonanza. Hi, Chaparral. I thought there was going to be some Indians and cowboys. I ain't lying, you know. And so I get there, and, uh, you know, I'm, there's tumbleweeds. I mean, they, you know, Tucson wasn't all that big at that time, you know what I mean? There was still tumbleweeds rolling. I think we still get them every once in a while, tumbling down the street. I get to Tucson, and how many of you know that, listen to what I'm going to say, you can run away from wherever you're at, but you can't run away from you. I thought that by leaving, because they were going to kill me anyways, but I thought that by leaving, my life would change, but it didn't change because I was only running from me. See, Nothing had changed because I was still a drug addict. I was still an alcoholic. I was still full of hate and bitterness because that's all that had been taught to me since I was little. I was no different than this demon-possessed man. See, this demon-possessed man didn't just... It wasn't just one day say, oh, man, this is who I'm going to be. I'm going to be demon-possessed. I'm going to do crazy stuff. I'm going to break chains. I'm going to run around butt-naked. Any of you guys ever thought like that? See, something happened to this man. And the same way something happened to him, it happened to me. And you may be here tonight, and something's happened to you. You don't want to let go of it. But I'm here to tell you that there's hope in Jesus Christ. God can set you free. I end up in Arizona. You know, some of you guys have seen, you know, I have a Sureño thing here. It's a, it's a gang-related thing. Some of you guys may know what it is. Mexicans sure know what it is, you know. Uh, and it's all over the place. Because I've been here to Atlanta before, man, and I was ministering at Pastor Leonardo's uh, church, and, and the guys were like, oh, you're a Sureño, bro. Oh, okay. You know? So they know it. Everybody recognizes it. You know, it's, a, it's, a, it's Southern United Raza. What it is is Southern California. It's a bunch of gang members from California. So I, I end up in Arizona because I'm so crazy. You got to understand, I didn't just, I was a kid that used to be very sensitive. I thank God God gave me that heart back, that sensitive heart. It was taken away from me when I was a little boy. My parents would say hateful things to me because I was little and because I'd cry. They would call me names. I became so hateful that I could shoot somebody without even thinking twice. I cut a man's throat eight times without even thinking about it and still told the guy that was with me to shoot him while he was on the floor. Thank God he didn't. Because my sister jumped in the front and says, that's the father of my kids. That's how hateful I had become because of the abuse of everything that had happened to me as a child. Do you understand what I'm saying? This man, this demon-possessed man, it wasn't the man who recognized Jesus, but the demons. Do you understand? The demons knew who Jesus was, but this man did not recognize Jesus. 
That's where I was. People would tell me about Jesus. They would tell me about God. They would tell me about salvation. I said, man, leave me alone. I don't want to hear you. I ain't got time for your Jesus. Nobody can change me. I became one of the biggest drug dealers in the west side and the south side of Tucson. I've never been in prison in my life. Been in and out of jail many times. But yet, I still got the title of the shot caller for all the Sureños. Do you understand? For those of you that don't know what a shot caller is, I used to tell them when to do it, how to do it, what they needed to do. Do you understand what I'm saying? And they needed to obey. See? In order to be a shot caller, you need to have a bad, nasty spirit. I used to walk down the street. Now, you got to understand, those of you, I know some of you have been to my house. You know my beautiful wife, Roxy. My wife comes from a whole different world. She's a little country girl. You know what I mean? She's beautiful. I love her to death. Two different worlds. You know, two different worlds. She's never seen nothing, never went through anything like I'm telling you. Not a tattoo on her body, not a smoker, not a drinker. Come on, somebody. You know, I was all jacked up, beat up, and messed up. What does she see in me? You know, they say, you know, good girls like bad boys. I guess that's what it was. You know what I mean? You know. She used to like the cholo look. You know, I don't know what it was. You know what I mean? The essay look, you know. But I'm going to tell you something. You know, I was lost and messed up. She would tell me about Jesus. You know, but you got to understand. Forgive me because I go back and forth. When I came to Tucson at the age of 17, I got married to the first young lady I met. My mom said to me, she says, when they cheat on you, don't come crying to me. Because at 17, I still needed their signature. See, she wouldn't sign for me to go to the military because I had, even though I didn't have an education back then, it was just a, you know, fill in the, the little dot. I knew how to do that, you know? you know? And so I passed. I don't know how I passed, but I passed, and I was going to go to the Army. And my mom said to me, I've been raised in California all my life. When I was born, the Vietnam War was going on. My mom went over. My mom jumped the border that way <laughs> and went and had me in Mexico and then brought me back through a cemetery, hoping that they would never take me to war, not understanding that my father was a U.S. citizen and that I would automatically get my citizenship at the time. Do you understand what I'm saying? And she says, that's the reason I went and had you over there, because I didn't want you to go to the military and get killed. So somewhere along the line, I'm sure this woman loved me, you know. And so I end up marrying this young lady at the age of 17 years old. She's 16 years old. And by the time I was 20 years old, I was divorced with four daughters. She said she was too young to be married. And I worked too much, so that's why she cheated on me. I divorced her. I ended up with my daughters. My oldest daughter was three and a half years old. My youngest daughter was six months old. 
now my oldest daughter's 38 years old and my baby is 34 years old from that marriage. I continue to live life the way I was living it, going, selling drugs, getting chased. By, it, 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 on my way over here, I got a flashback. I, I went to the airport in Phoenix to, to take, a, my, take my flight. I live in Tucson, but I went to Phoenix to take the flight. And as I'm going through the airport, I'm remembering running from the cops with 600 pounds. You know? They didn't catch me. <laughs> Two weeks later... They caught me, <laughs> but they couldn't prove anything, you know? That was the kind of lifestyle I lived. You know, I, I was going through so much stuff. I hated women. I, I really did. I hated women because my mother would always cheat on my father, and she would always tell me, tell your dad to let me back home, and I promise I won't do it again. So then I would tell my dad, Dad, let my mom come back home. She's not going to do it again. So then my mom would come back home and she'd do it again. Then my dad would beat me because my mom cheated, all right? And my mom hated me because I looked like my father. And that's sad. And my mom would always tell me, this is my mom, don't you ever trust a woman. When women cry, they're liars. When my wife cheated on me, my first wife, I said, my mom was right. Women are no good. So my mind, I'm telling you, from that moment on, I started to hate women. I became very abusive towards women. To me, they were just another, just like a piece of clothing. You use them while you want, and then you get rid of them. That was my mentality. By the time I was 24 years old, I met my beautiful wife, Roxy. Okay. That same year that I met my wife, oh, wait up, no, no, I'm sorry. I got to go back and forth. I'm, I apologize. Right before, that year before I met my wife, I was at work. And I seen this police officer, seen police cars show up, you know, right away. I'm thinking about running, you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, I said, they're coming for me. And the officer calls me and he says, I need to talk to you. I said, about what? He goes, is your mother Aida Romero? I said, yes, sir. said, we came to tell you that uh, your mother was murdered. She was shot in her face with a 12-gauge shotgun. And we need you to go and uh, identify her body. I went to Long Beach because that's where my mom got murdered. And... Uh, I walked into this place and they had my mother laying on a metal table. As I walked up to her, I seen her from a distance and uh, I knew it was my mother. At that moment, 
I lost hope. My mother could never tell me that she loved me. I'm telling you, if you have a mother, you better love your mother. Appreciate your mother. I don't care how old, how young you are. You need to love your mother and appreciate your mother. I remember my father pushing me towards her, and he says, go look at your mother. And when he pushed me, I turned around, and I looked at him, and I said, if you ever touch me again, I swear to God, I'll kill you. We got my mom, they prepared my mom, took, flew her to Tucson, they buried her in Tucson. I remember walking up to her while she was in her coffin, they had to reconstruct her face because she pretty much had no face. But I remember when I was young, she had little freckles on her ear. My mom was a little white lady. She's Mexican, little white lady, little white Mexican lady. She had these little freckles on her ears. And I remember when she was in her coffin, I could see the freckles in her ears. And I knew it was my mother. And I had lost hope because I said, she'll never tell me that she loved me. I went to her house and I started to clean her house up and I would have to pick pieces up from her face that were still in the house. I tell you this because I'm going to tell you something. You need to take this. You need to take this to heart, what I'm telling you right now. You need to understand. You don't need to go through what I've been through. And if you've gone through it, there's hope in Jesus. As I was cleaning up her home and going through all this stuff, I couldn't cry. You got to understand, my heart was so messed up. I was so jacked up that all I had was this knot right in my throat. You guys ever felt that knot in your throat? Come on, you prideful Mexicans. You know what I'm talking about. Because <laughs> we are, all those Mexicans are like that. A lot of you that are here that you're like that. You don't want to cry because you think it's weakness. You listen to many of the Mexican songs, you know, Los hombres no deben de llorar. Men don't cry. You know what I mean? Too much Vicente Fernandez, guys, all right? <laughs> I wanted her to tell me that she loved me, but she never, she'll never tell me that she loved me. Right after that, I met my wife. But I'm going to tell you something. I remember seeing my wife for the very first time. She was waiting by a phone booth. Come on, somebody, we have phone booths back then. <laughs> Youngsters, you can look them up. They'll show you what they are. The thing that Superman used to jump out of, and you know. And uh, I remember driving up. I was hungover. My brother-in-law was driving, and I was in a lowrider with hydraulics, and it was just bouncing. I was like, "Oh my God!" You know. Turned around to the side, and there was my beautiful wife, little country girl, Wranglers on, white shirt on, cowboy boots on, wild crazy. She has this long old hair, and. Uh, I said, man, that's a beautiful little white girl right there. My wife's still half German, half Mexican. She looks white as white can be, you know. 
And I looked over her way and I said, man, I said, I don't know how, but I'm going to meet me this girl. You know what I mean? And, you know, you got to understand, I'm, you know, a little cholo, you know what I mean? You know, for those of you that don't know, you know, like them big old, them zoot zooters back in the day wear our pants all the way up to here. You know, you only see this much of your shirt, you know what I mean? It's either that or you, or you have a shirt all the way down to here, you know what I mean? Your white socks all the way up to here. I don't wear white socks anymore, you know what I mean? But, you know, and, you know, my, I, I used to comb my hair back the same way it is right now, but, the only thing I believed in, I was religious. You know, I've grown up Chicano all my life, so, you know, we believed in the Virgin of Guadalupe. And so I made a promise to the Virgin of Guadalupe, and, and I, had this, I had a braid all the way down to here. When, I, when my mother got murdered, I, I let my hair grow, and I told my wife I'll never cut it until I die. And so, you know, she must have seen me. She said, wow. I'm sure she said, wow. Now, now she says, wow, <laughs> but not, not in a good way. But, uh, you know, I met her, and, and I remember her laugh, her smile, beautiful, beautiful woman, and I wanted what she had. I wanted that smile. I wanted that laugh. I wanted that joy that she had. I'm going to tell you something right now. If you're looking for someone if you want that joy that they got, you'll make them miserable before you make them happy. Because I'm going to tell you, the only joy that you can find that's good for you is in Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm going to tell you, I got together with my wife and I made her life miserable for the first four years of our lives because I wanted what she had. And if I couldn't have what she had, she wasn't going to have it either. Because that's our mentality. You know what? If I'm miserable, you're going to be miserable. I became an abusive husband. I'd be mentally abusing my children just by acting as a fool, yelling and screaming and cussing out a storm, touching, beating their mom because that's who I was. I don't say that because I'm proud of it. I'm not proud of it. I'm saying that because maybe you've gone through it. Maybe you're going through it. Maybe someone is listening right now that is going. You don't need to live life like that. This woman started to pray for me. See, my wife grew up in, in, in a religious uh, home. She grew up Catholic, and uh, yeah, that girl had more white dresses than anybody I know. I don't know. She would, they would go through all kinds of different stuff, I guess, from baptism to uh, a communion. I don't know what they did, but there was a lot of white dresses. That's all I know, from little dresses to big dresses to bigger dresses. You know what I mean? And I would come home and, and from work, and, and, and when I would get home, she would have people there. She would have a, a people from the Catholic Church to come and talk to me. It was funny because they were afraid of me. They wouldn't even want to talk to me. And then uh, she would have uh, Jehovah Witnesses there at the house trying to, you know, uh, get me to turn, become a Jehovah Witness. And then she had luck with the Mormons. She got the Mormons to come. And the Mormons weren't afraid of me. You know what I mean? And plus they liked her tacos. You know, she would feed them tacos, and then they would come, and they would tell me about the suns and the, how many gods and how many hells and how many heavens. And they would tell me, and I'd just listen to them. I'd be doing some cocaine and drinking beer and smoking a joint while they were telling me all this stuff, you know. And I'd feed them, here you go, man, eat, you know what I mean? Uh, and so they would listen to me. And uh, I'm telling you, one day my wife got me to go see a baptism. She wanted me to go see a baptism because she wanted me to go to church. 
church. Uh, she, wanted me, she wanted something different. She wanted me to change. She would see, she would always tell me, there's something good in you. I don't know what it is, but there's something good in you. You can be a better person. And, and so I would tell her, you don't know what you're talking about. You know, I've hurt so many people in my life. Come, come on, somebody. Some of you guys are here, and you're saying, God can't do nothing with me because I'm all messed up, all jacked up, and all beat up. Well, I'm going to tell you something. God li- likes those beat up and jacked up people. See, you don't go to the doctors if you don't feel sick. You go to the doctors because you feel sick. You come to church because you're spiritually sick. And so, you know, she's bringing all these people. So I end up going to, to see uh, the baptism, and I know I'm ready to get baptized. I said, man, I want this woman to leave me alone. I'm going to go in there, and they're getting baptized in these white sheets. And, and, and now she makes fun of me. She goes, you could have been Elder Frank, and you could have got a new 10-speed, and you know what I mean, all this kind of stuff, and had your little tag, you know, that said Elder Frank, you know. And so, you know, I, I remember going there. We get there, and, and we get into an argument in the parking lot. I go home, and I said, you know what? I don't want none of this God because God isn't real. Where was he when my mother got murdered? Where was he when I was molested as a child? Where was he when my father would beat my mother? Where was he when my mother would beat my father? Where was he? Through all this abuse, where was he? I never seen him. He never protected me. He never, I could never feel his presence. Where was he? God isn't real. But God is real. You know, she would pray for me. She would pray for me. Constantly pray for me. To the point that I, be, I started to become crazy. I'm telling you something. Some of you can be, you think you're going nuts, but it's God bringing conviction. I'm telling you, I never, I could stab somebody, not even think about it. I started having nightmares about it. I could shoot somebody, not even think about it. I started to have nightmares about that. In the middle of the night, I would get up and say, man, what's going on? So the best thing I knew how to do was commit suicide. 1995, I OD'd, not accidentally, on purpose. Because I didn't want to live anymore. I remember walking up to my wife. I remember... Taking all these pills, I took 150 Prozacs, that's what I took. I remember walking up to my wife. I gave each one of the kids a kiss. I said, I love you. I walked up to my wife and I kissed her and I said, I love you. I, put my, I laid down on the bed and I put my, my head on her lap. And I remember the last word she said, she goes, what did you do? I said, nothing, everything will be better. She said, 10 minutes after that, I was on the floor. She says, foaming out of my mouth, just going around in circles. My wife and the neighbors got me and put me in a car, and and they took me to the hospital. And when I got to the hospital, 
I remember being in, in the hospital, and I remember everybody, I could see people running and screaming. Obviously, they could see something I couldn't see. And I, all, I, I couldn't hear anything. I couldn't see anything. I was in a whole different world. All I remember is these doctors coming through these doors, and when they hit these doors, this light hit me, and I had died right there and then. My heart had stopped. My wife says that they took me into the back room and they started to shock me. She says that it would get my heart to beat a couple of times and, and then she said it would stop. She said they were pumping out my stomach, putting in charcoal in my stomach and, and trying to suck everything out and shock me because some of the pills had already gone into my system. They said five of these pills should have killed me. I've always been a small guy. When I met my wife, I only weighed 125 pounds. I weigh 160. I'm almost 60 years old. <laughs> I ain't gonna gain no weight, and if I do, I'm on my way out. It don't really matter, you know. <laughs> and they continued to shock me, and she said that at the last minute, when they gave up, a nurse walked in and she says, "You can't let him die. They, the kids need their daddy." My wife says that they gave me a shot of adrenaline. I'm believing that's what it was. She said they shocked me. And she said, I jumped up on the bed, stood up like, I'm like a demon. She said, you grabbed the doctor from his throat, and you swung him over the bed. She said, as they were coming at you, she goes, you would grab him. Nah, I'm not a big guy. I know I can't do that. That's demon-possessed. I would grab them. She said, it took eight people to hold me down. I went into a slight coma. And when I came out of the coma, like, I think it was like 24 hours later, I was tied down every six inches. I'm telling you. I was in my birthday suit, you know, <laughs> and I had a sheet over me. I had my chin tied, my forehead tied, my chest tied. I mean, my arms tied. It looked like they had King Kong tied up. I ain't lying. You know what I mean? And they were little people. You know what I'm saying? You know? And all I remember is waking up. I was in this dark place. And I could never understand where this dark place was. All I know is that I could see myself in a place that was dark. Not, not like black, but dark. The darkest place you could ever think of. On the sides, everything. But I was lit up. There was a light around me. I could never understand what that light was. Come on, somebody. You guys know what that light is. It's got to be Jesus. God gave me a second chance. How am I going to tell you that I came out and, ooh, you know what I mean? I was, oh, no, it didn't happen that way. I couldn't even walk. I came out with a walker. Two weeks later, the drugs had messed up my nerves. I couldn't walk. Came up with a little oxygen tank. I, thought, I looked like I was about 90 years old, you know what I mean? Just walking around carrying this little tank. My wife would take me out for walks like a little puppy. because She goes, you're not going to stay like this. I'm telling you, it got so crazy. When I was in the hospital, when I, had, when I was in the hospital, they, the people, the other gang members that were around me came into the hospital, and they told my wife, they go, if he took his life because of you, if he dies, you're going with him. Do you understand? I had, I mean, I, I'm telling you, I had people that would do whatever for me at the time, but that, it wasn't because they loved me. It's because they feared me. After going through everything that I went through, a year later, because I can go on and on, Pastor. I hope I don't, you don't take too long. 
keep you guys too much. I was working. I, I'm a tile setter. I was setting tile in the daytime and the nighttime. I'd go work at a Burger King because I needed to keep my mind busy because I wanted to stop doing drugs. I wanted to stop drinking. That one day, for some reason, they shortened my hours. I called my wife said, come pick me up. She gives me a flyer. You know, I look at it, and she, some kind of gang play. I said, man, I don't want to go there. I said, I've seen this. I'm not no, no, no downing anybody. I said, I've seen this victory outreach stuff forever in L.A., man. And those are just gangsters for Jesus. That was my mentality, you know. And she, so we're driving. It's a good distance. We're driving, and she goes, but I really want to go, and the kids want to go. And, you know, I said, let's go. We get there. I said, you and the kids can go check it out. I'm not into all that, you know, Bible-thumping stuff. I'm a Bible-thumper now, <laughs> but I wasn't a Bible-thumper then, you know. And so she gets off. She goes down there, and they're looking at this play, whatever. Um, I guess they had, you know, altar call. I'm sure they, you know, they did. And I remember this guy coming up to me, and he's kind of like a little cholo kind of guy, you know what I mean? And he comes and he goes, hey, bro, let me tell you about Jesus. <laughs> I said, bro, you tell me about your Jesus, and I'll knock your teeth out. I don't want to hear about your Jesus. And poor Pastor Joaquin Orozco goes, okay, bro, it's cool. <laughs> and he walks away. I apologize to him now, you know. <laughs> and at the time, you know, he had just gotten saved too. He was a new convert himself. And I remember... Another guy came up to me, started talking to me about work. So I had no problem talking about work. I just didn't want to hear about Jesus. And Sunday, here comes another guy. His name is Alfredo Barron. He's a pastor in Mexico City for a while. And he says, what kind of work do you do, bro? So then we started talking about work. I see my wife coming. You know, I'm smoking a cigarette, trying to keep them away. <sighs> You know what I mean? Oh, this guy could t tell you some stories about me, but things I did to him. And uh, my wife comes, my wife's coming, the kids are coming, and I said, you know what, bro, I got to leave. I'm going to tell you, I, I got this from him. People out there don't want to pray, but there's people out there that will allow you to pray for them. And he said to me, can I pray for you? I said, knock yourself out, bro. I just need to go. So he prayed for me. I got in my car and I left. Two weeks later, man, I don't know how this guy found out where I live, you know. But he shows up to my house. Kids come running and they go, Dad, Dad, there's this man looking for you. I said, go tell him I'm not here. And they did that. My dad said he's not here. And I... <laughs> He goes, just tell him we want to talk to him. For, I want to talk to him just for a little bit. So then I walk outside. I said, I'll get rid of this guy, man. I rolled me up a big old fat blunt. You know what I mean? I walked out, lit that bad boy up. And as he was talking to me, hey, man, how's work? <sighs> Good, bro. <laughs> you know? And he would move. I mean, he wouldn't say nothing. He just moved to the side. He preached at my church, and he's telling everybody this story. Then he would cut, and I, I know he took off because he was hungry. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know? And so 
every single time. This guy would work in Phoenix, and he would show up to my house every two, three days, man. I don't know if he wanted to get another contact hire. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. He would come to the house, and he would tell me. But every time he would leave, he goes, can I pray for you? You know, that, that question is going to be asked right now in a few minutes. Can I pray for you? He would pray for me, eventually getting me to go to, he invited me to cook out to his house. So I said, I don't think my wife's going to want to go, bro. She's Catholic. <laughs> and she said, yes. So we went. He goes, but before we go, we've got to go to church. I said, all right, we'll go to your church. Now, you got to understand, okay? I walk into the door. I've been dodging the door for years, man. I'd be cruising down South 6 in my lowrider, and as soon as I'd see them street preaching, I'd drop it to the side for I wouldn't have to see them. You know what I mean? You know? So I've been dodging this church for years, and I get there, and everybody, oh, robo, bo, gandare. I said, man, this is witchcraft. I told you, girl. You know what I mean? I believed in the devil. How many of you in here? You believed in the devil. You didn't believe in Jesus, but you believed in the devil. You know? I'm going to tell you, if there's a devil, there's a Jesus. Amen. And so I go to this church, and I walk into the church. I had just came out on the cover of the newspaper. Come on, somebody, youngsters. There is newspapers. You know, we used to have this paper thing called newspaper. And my face is on the newspaper. I came out on this paper because my pit bulls had attacked someone, and, and the cops had shot my dogs. And they said that because my dogs were mean, I was mean, or because I was mean, they were somewhere like that, somewhere along the line. They compared me to a pit bull. And then I walk in there, and then there's another guy I run into that I had threatened to kill years ago. Poor uh, uh, brother uh, uh, Joe Castellon in, in America. They were at a party one time, and I, I threatened to kill him because he was from Northern California, and I was from Southern California. And then there was another brother there that I didn't know. was uh, uh, He plays in La Luz del Mundo, is, which is Rubencito. It's actually America's dad. Yeah, they were painting a car for me. They didn't paint it right. I took everybody out of the paint shop. I said, all of you guys come outside. I called out the manager, the assistant manager, and I said, look, man, if next time I come here, you didn't paint my car right, I'm killing all of you. And I remember him telling me in Spanish, pero yo no, hermanito, huh? pero yo no, huh? And I said, no, no, not you, bro. You know? I didn't know why he was calling me hermanito, because I know we weren't related. You know? And so everybody knows, they know who I am. There's people in there that know who I am. My wife had grown up with some of the young ladies there in the church and and so I'm there and I'm you know not wanting to uh, I, I, I didn't want to sit down I would sit down and I had this crazy lady that would stand behind me all the time and and she would say it wasn't you Venice I'm sorry it wasn't you <laughs> no, it was Lucy Escobar she would re- lean over and start praying for me and I look at her and I tell her in Spanish vieja loca crazy woman don't be praying for me get away from me and my wife would say Frank stop being mean and I'd cuss her out and and, and she would still pray for me I went to church for three months, man. I'm telling you, I'd walk in there with a gang of dudes, walking in there, let's intimidate everybody. You know what I mean? You know, because she wanted to go. You know, it was just, at the time, it was just for us, it was just, just a game. I remember being at my house, and Marty, Pastor, Marty Carnegie was preaching a revival. He was still in London. And he's preaching a revival, and... uh the night before, I had gone outside of my house 
and I was smoking a joint, and I started to cuss God out. I said, where were you when I was a child? Where were you when I was molested? Where were you? All these questions, my mother, when my mother got, where were you? Because I've never seen you. I remember going to church that following day with my wife. I would go and I'd stand at the wall. I'm serious. I, I want nobody praying for me and Lucy would just not stop. I would go and stand on the Spanish side against the wall with my foot. You know, like if I was at a liquor store, you know what I mean? Just stand there. Nobody would even tell me anything. They wouldn't try to sit me down. They wouldn't talk to me. I'm telling you, nobody would even get close to me. I'd just kick back right there and they'd just leave me alone. And as I was standing there, I remember I was like at the left-hand side and Marty was preaching. And he would turn around and look at me. Then he would preach. And he would turn around and look at me. In my mind, I'm thinking, what's this dude looking at, man? You know, that I sell him some bad weed because I'm going to mess him up in the parking lot. That's my mentality. You know, we're, we're worldly. We're thinking like the world, right? What did I sell this guy? You know, what problem does he have with me? That's how I'm thinking. And on the third time, he said, this is in the middle of a sermon. He says, hold on. I have to do this now. He turned around and he looked at me. And he called me. He says, come here. I remember I was stoned out of my mind. Had my mad dogs on. I looked like the brother right now. He had the mad dogs on. I had my mad dogs on. My earrings, you know, I thought I was all cool, you know. I walked up to him, and he said to me, you want to know if God is real? You know, I didn't mean anything. And he says, I don't know what this means, but you know what it means, and God knows what it means. And he leaned over, and he whispered something in my ear. When he whispered in my ear, I had seen, I'd seen my life, every bad thing I had done from being an abusive husband to stabbings to shootings. I'm telling you, I'm telling you right now, if you're not right with God, you need to get right with God because there is a hell. When he said these things to me, God showed me real quick. And I remember I stood back and I looked at him, and in my mind I said, bad high. You know, because we, we, as sinners, we're always, looking, we're, we're always looking for an excuse, right? I said, bad high, man. Something happened, and boom, you know what I mean? It's just bad high. Then he said, this man don't know me. He says, the same way people follow you for the devil, man, they're going to follow you for Jesus. I'm thinking, man, you don't know me. I felt like the devil. I felt like Satan. I felt, I, I just hated myself so much. And he says, you have a calling to preach the gospel, man. I'm thinking to myself, man, I can't even read my ABCs and my one, two, threes, brother. Well, how am I going to preach? You know? I remember I said to him, are you done? He just kind of, you know, Marty. He just laughed it off. I walked back to the wall. 
I stood against my wall, and I tell my wife now, I go, God has, God always has a plan. Marty continued to preach. But as he was preaching, I was at that wall thinking about what he had told me. And I remember standing at that wall, and I remember challenging God, and I said, if you're the God that these people believe you are, if you're as mighty as they think you are, you're going to stop me from touching my wife because I was an abusive husband. And she was perfect woman for me. I said, you're going to stop me from being so hateful. You're going to stop me from being so bitter. You're going to stop me from drinking and doing drugs. If you stop me, not tomorrow, not next week, but today, I will serve you for the rest of my life. I'm going to tell you something. Those were the last words I said, and I felt something hit me in the back of my legs, and I fell on my knees. And I cried out to God, and I said, you are, Lord. God saved me. I didn't go through withdrawals. I was an alcoholic for 20 years. I was a drug addict for 20 years. I had a mouth on me worse than a sailor, I'm telling you right now. But yet God says, I can restore what the enemy has taken. Do you understand? God touched me. God set me free. From that moment on, I went home. And I never went back to who I was. God is good, amen? Amen. Just give God praise, Father God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, thank you, Lord. You know, I want to encourage you tonight. I haven't shared all my, that's not even part of my testimony. You can get online on, on YouTube and there's a testimony. It's about two and a half hours and I still haven't shared it all. But I'm going to tell you something. The testimony doesn't make me, oh man, did you see, oh no. Everything, God, the Bible says that God uses the foolish things of this world. Come on, somebody, here's a foolish thing right here to glorify his name. How many of you know you all have a testimony here? Oh, pastor, I've been saved all my life. Don't matter. You have a testimony. See, God wants to use you. But pastor, you don't understand what I went through. I was abused. I was molested as a child. God can use you. Let go of that demon spirit. Allow God to renew you, amen. God wants to cleanse you. God wants to renew you, amen. But you need to allow God to move in your life. Some of you are sitting here, you say, I can't do anything for Jesus because of this. Or we're, we're, we're looking for excuses. This man, he, that Jesus casts out these demons, and he goes back into the city and tells everyone about Jesus. I mean, if you walked around butt naked a couple of times, it don't matter. This man walked around for years butt naked, you know. He cut himself. He was a cutter. Listen, I mean, we can compare. He was a cutter. He used to cut himself with stones. It says that he howled like an animal. But yet God touches him. God restores him. Amen. God has given us the ability to fight against demons. God has not created you in the image of an angel. He has created you in his image. But he has given you authority over the angels. That means that he has given you authority over the enemy. Do you understand? 
There is no excuse. Stop playing church. If you're here, you might as well do something for Jesus. You want to see a change? You can make a change in one person's life. Got to get out of that comfort zone. You know, since the day I got saved, I've been doing something for Jesus. I would go stand out at the bus stop and pass out flyers. On Tuesdays, I'd go to the youth Bible study. Wednesday, I'd go to Wednesday service. Thursday, I'd go to Spanish service. Friday, I'd go to Bible study. Saturdays, I'd go to concerts. Sundays, I'd go to service. So I was always busy. Come on, we used to make time to go to the mall, go to the parties. Right? Some of you guys spend more time at the Walmart than anything else. You know what I mean? Come on. Take some flyers with you. Pass them out. Tell people about the love of Jesus Christ. Amen. God has given you, child of God, if you have come and repented and asked Jesus into your heart, and if you haven't, tonight you'll have that chance to be called a child of God and to be used for God's kingdom. Amen? God can use you. I like every head bowed and every eye closed in reference to our Lord Jesus Christ this evening. You know, I'm not here to just tell you my testimony, but that you understand that if God can change someone like me, if someone can change someone that's gone, that's through as much as I have, and if he's restored my life, can you imagine what he could do with you? Just imagine that. Imagine how God can restore your marriage. God restored my marriage. Me and my wife have been married for 32 years. What the devil was trying to take away from me, God restored. God can restore your life. God can restore your marriage. Teenager, God can help you. If there's anyone here this evening that would like to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, raise up your hand. Don't be ashamed. I see that hand. Is there anyone else? Raise up your hand. Don't be ashamed. The Bible says that if you're ashamed of him, he's ashamed of you. But yet he got crucified, stripped of his clothes in front of everyone. And even on the cross, he said, forgive them for they know not what they do. God can forgive you for all your sins. Doesn't matter how bad. God can forgive you. Is there anyone else? Maybe you're listening. I see that hand. Anyone else that would want to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? Raise up your hand. God can restore you. God can give you a new life, a new beginning. Maybe you're listening online and you want to accept Jesus Christ. Raise up your hand. Acknowledge him by raising up your hand right where you're at. It doesn't matter where you're at. I, I, don't, I don't need to see you. God sees you. Is there anyone else that would want to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? Those of you that raised up your hand, would you come forward for we can pray for you? Come, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed, baby. Come on forward. Jesus loves you. Come forward, baby. Get somebody to come pray with these young ladies. Oh, baby, God loves you. God loves you, my love. 
Oh, Father, you touch her right now, my Heavenly Father, Lord. You restore my Heavenly Father, Lord. The enemy has taken, Lord Jesus. Oh, Father, Lord, you touch my sister right now, Lord. You touch your child, Lord. Oh, yes, my Heavenly Father, Lord. If you raised up your hand, if you're listening online, and you'd like to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, pray this simple prayer. Say right now, I ask you, Lord, to come into my heart. Forgive me, for I know that I'm a sinner, and I know you gave your only begotten Son to die on the cross for my sins. The blood of Jesus makes me whole. The blood of Jesus sets me free. I thank you, and I give you praise. Amen. I want to talk to the church now. Some of you are here, you're still holding on to some of that bitterness, that unforgiveness. Maybe you were violated as a child or a teenager. God says, I want to help you. I can restore you. I can renew you. Maybe you're looking for that love like I was. How many of you know that the love that the world offers is called lust, not love? Only Jesus can show you real love. You can come to these altars and ask Jesus to help you, to restore your mind and your soul, amen. God has a plan for your life. Ask God to help you. These altars are open. You come, you pray.